The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, folks. So glad that you could join us. Today's show is all about population. As many of you may have noticed in uh, mainstream media, it's all over the news, that by the end of October, the UN is expecting that the world's population will reach 7 billion people. That's a lot of people. And one of the issues that so many people are talking about is, how can this continue? Is this sustainable? How are we going to feed and clothe and provide good-paying jobs for all those people, both now and in the future? And today's guest is well positioned to help us answer those questions and help address uh, all of the issues, whether they're environmental, uh, uh, economic, what have you, around population. His name is Bill Ryerson. He's the founder and the president of the Population Media Center, a very interesting organization. In fact, uh, we have had guests on from that organization before, in particular Virginia Carter, who has worked in the entertainment and media industry for decades and has been helping them to to do the work that they do. And I'm very excited to have Bill on the show. We're going to go through this population issue soup to nuts. And if you have any questions, you can either tweet your questions to me at at Jill Buck or you can call in. We'll give you that number in a little bit. But uh, welcome to Go Green Radio, Bill. Glad you could join us. Thanks for having me on, Jill. Really excited to be with you. Well, we're excited to have you. I mean, you couldn't be a more perfectly suited subject matter expert on this subject. You know, when we had a, an earlier show, I believe it was back in March on population, uh, we were talking about a, an earlier issue of National Geographic magazine that came out, I believe, January or February of this year, and their cover story was dedicated to the impending 7 billion inhabitants of the planet. And at one point in the article, they mentioned that the entire Earth's population could fit into a space the size of Texas if it were as densely populated as New York City. And they were making the case that, okay, yes, we have a huge population growth uh, issue on our hands, but it's not as though the Earth is running out of space. So tell us, what are the primary concerns regarding population growth if it's not a physical space issue? Well, first of all, I'd hate to try to commute into that city, a city of New York's density, the size of the state of Texas with seven <laughs> billion people living in it. But second, um, the reality isn't the issue of space, even though sitting on freeways one might wonder, but uh, it's the issue of resources. So if we had everybody in the state of Texas, uh, how would we provide them enough water to drink? I mean, clearly... It is an issue of water, energy, food, uh, various other resources. That's really the critical issue, not space. It's resource distribution, right? It's resource access. In fact, it's more than distribution. Uh, many experts now are very concerned 
that what was forecast by the publication in 1972, Limits to Growth, mm-hmm. is now uh, turning into reality. We are facing severe shortages of key resources for industrial society. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, a, a lot of environmentalists have you know, really attach themselves to this issue of population growth. And there is no shortage of environmentalists who tell us that population increases lead to carbon emissions and uh, more uh, increased carbon emissions as well. But we see areas of the world that still have very high birth rates and they're not emitting very much carbon. For example, sub-Saharan Africa. On the other hand, in China, where you have the world's most strict birth control measures in place, they're increasing their carbon emissions. So there doesn't seem to be this direct correlation between population growth and carbon emission growth. It's it's not that simple. So talk to us about the environmental impacts of an increasingly large population. You're right. It's not it's not a very simple equation, but it's it's actually not that complex. When you look at China now with their uh, 1.3 billion people, they are emitting more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere than the United States. And it's because of the number of people they have. Their population grew to huge numbers before they finally imposed their population policy. Um, And the developing world is now emitting more carbon dioxide than the developed world. And that's a reflection of a combination of the huge numbers of people in the developing world and uh, their rising per capita rates. So it's not unimportant. Indeed, you know, America has the highest per capita rates of carbon emissions, and so population growth in America is really one of the biggest concerns because for every baby that an American decides not to have, it's a contribution to reducing their carbon legacy 20 times uh, the impact they can have by doing such technological fixes as changing the light bulbs are driving a hybrid or insulating the house. So, uh, indeed, population growth in the U.S. is a very serious climate concern. But even in the poorest countries where most of the population growth is likely to occur between now and 2050, an additional 2.4 billion people, uh, while they're in low per capita emission countries, the magnitude of that growth times their low per capita emission rates is the climate equivalent of adding two United States to the planet. So it's not insignificant. It's very important, and it deserves to be included in the discussions about climate issues. Besides carbon emissions, what are some of the other environmental impacts to population growth? Well, the biggest concern, of course, is water. Uh, fresh water availability uh, is critical to human survival, and much of the water that we have is used for irrigation for production of crops. Uh, what's going on in the top three grain-producing countries of the planet, India, China, and the United States, is and particularly true in India and China, over-pumping of underground aquifers in order to get water uh, to irrigate crops. And the over-pumping is such that the water table is dropping by 5 to 10 feet a year in India, and farmers are having to drill deeper every year in order to get access to fresh water. 
that combined with the fact that many rivers like the Yellow River never reach the ocean for two-thirds of the year because it's all being used for irrigation is an indication we've gone beyond what is sustainable. In fact, in India alone, there are over 100 million people who are surviving on food that is produced purely by over-pumping. And, of course, as the water table becomes very deep, uh, we're already seeing farmers' land turn into desert and farmers giving up because they can no longer irrigate their crops. So there's a very serious concern that we're the agricultural system of the planet, particularly the grain production system of the top three grain producers, uh, and the United States is still in that boat, uh, along with India and China. We're over-pumping in the American Southwest, and the water table is sinking. Uh, we face uh, a potential collapse of food production and dramatic rise in food prices as a result. And then combine that with growing energy shortages. For the last five years, we've seen oil production pretty much stagnant. Um, Many forecasters have said that sometime uh, in the first 20 years of this century, we would see oil go into an extrable long-term decline as we uh, used up all the easy-to-get oil and then spent more and more energy trying to get oil from difficult places like the bottom of the Gulf of Mexico and the Arctic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, indeed, we're now facing that situation. Saudi Arabia uh, has been pretty much flat in oil production. Uh, in fact, what triggered the 2008 spike in oil prices and the recession uh, in part, was uh, Saudi Arabia having a 7% decline in oil production that year. Uh, and that led to uh, panic on the world oil market and a huge spike up to $140 a barrel. And what resulted from that was food riots all over the world. Mm-hmm. Well, what what does food have to do with the price of oil? Uh, oil in modern agriculture is used for pumping the irrigation water. It's used for producing pesticides and fertilizers. It's used for plowing, planting, harvesting, transport to market, refrigeration, and cooking. And so when you look at the oil component of the price of food, it's huge. Uh, and when it gets up uh, over $100 a barrel, people start to starve. There are 1.2 billion people on the planet who live on less than a dollar a day. And most of their income is used to buy enough food to survive. So when food gets pricey, those people suffer the most. And indeed, many analysts have concluded that what's been going on in the Middle East uh, this spring and summer uh, with rebellions all over, starting in Tunisia, uh, has been partly a reflection of uh, the price of food and partly a reflection of huge population growth leading to massive unemployment and a lot of unemployed young men uh, getting angry over their situations and their inability to afford to buy food to eat. Mm -hmm. So these are, this whole situation is tied in with global security and the Pentagon now is, is paying very close attention to the threat that food security problems in the coming three to seven years will lead to, uh, Um, general insecurity on a global basis as people uh, become desperate. 
Well, and when you talk about food production as well, um, you can't leave out the the component of land use that uh, is being used for food production that was previously uh, perhaps wetlands or some other uh, land use that actually helped the earth stabilize the climate as well. Can you not? That's correct. Uh, we've converted all the... Uh, or almost all the very good fertile land we can into farmland, and we're now converting uh, less and less desirable land into farmland. And at the same time, through urbanization, uh, we are converting the best farmland into housing and industry. So uh, farmland itself is uh, a decreasing commodity uh, and the productivity of soil is now decreasing. Soil uh, f- fertility has been declining because of overuse and overuse of artificial uh, fertilizers and so on. Uh, and indeed, the ability to produce the food that we produce depends on the use of petroleum-based fertilizers and pesticides, petroleum and natural gas-based. And since these are non-renewable resources uh, and are uh, depleting, uh, we face a long-term problem that that we have degraded the soils and we're going to face possible declines in food production, both because of soil degradation and uh, because of climate change and loss of access to fresh water and loss of easy access to oil. Right. And, and Bill, you know, aspect, we... Sure. Bill, you know what? We're going to take a quick commercial break, but there is so much more that we want to ask you um, about this very issue. And folks, I hope you will stick with us. Don't go away. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter, formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. Get ready for unpredictable fun and sometimes a sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. 
Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. We're joined today by Bill Ryerson, the founder and president of the Population Media Center. And right before the break, we were discussing the environmental impact that this population growth that the Earth is experiencing right now is having. And Bill, you were about to make a point about biodiversity. I want to give you a chance to explore that with our listeners. Thanks, Jill. Uh, the, the thing that one doesn't often realize, if, unless they stop and think about this, is that biodiversity is what makes the planet habitable. If if one were to have visited the planet three billion years ago, they wouldn't have survived more than a few minutes because there was no air to breathe, at least no oxygen. Uh, you couldn't drink the water. It was filled with toxic minerals, and there was no food. So it has been three billion years of evolution of a whole web of life that has made the planet habitable. And what's important is not uh, just one member of an endangered species in terms of habitability of the planet. It's great to preserve endangered species. But what is really important is large populations of plants in particular and some animals like honeybees. So... It is preservation of very large populations that is critical to make the planet habitable. For example, many people refer to the Amazon as the lungs of the world. Well, because of human population growth, we are rapidly depleting biodiversity, and the 100,000 nature preserves that have been set up around the planet, as covered in a report issued recently by two biologists, uh, have done nothing to stop the loss of biodiversity on the planet as human numbers have expanded and as, as people have encroached into wilderness habitat in places like the Amazon. Uh, and so what's th- what that is doing and what we don't know is exactly how much further we can go before we face very serious problems. But clearly, cutting down large rainforests uh, is reducing the uh, helpful effect of forests in stopping climate change uh, and releasing huge amounts of carbon into the atmosphere at a time when we don't need it, but it's also threatening long-term survivability uh, on the planet. Mm-hmm. You know, in looking at, at various maps that uh, study population growth, it looks like almost all of the 
really serious population growth over the next few decades is going to occur in some of the less developed countries of sub-Saharan Africa and Asia. From your work around the world with the Population Media Center, do you sense that these countries themselves feel that their high population growth rates are a problem? Or is this kind of a case of outsiders looking down on the situations that these countries face? Uh, it's almost, not in, not completely, but almost universal uh, concern by those countries about their population situation being unsustainable. For example, the health minister in India, Azad, has issued numerous statements uh, publicly about the concern that India, despite its great progress economically, is becoming unsustainable. Pakistan, similarly, uh, many countries in Africa have population policies that call for stopping population growth. There are a few outliers. Um, for example, Uganda, the president has not come to grips with the situation and the need to uh, stop population growth in order to end poverty and make the country sustainable. But most developing countries are quite concerned. Mm-hmm. I just I have to mention this because it's kind of the elephant in the room. When you talk about population growth and expansion, it can be a very polarizing subject, and people tend to have very strong opinions one way or the other. Um, in your 40 years of experience in this field, is there any common ground? I mean, can we all agree on a few things? Are there parts of this issue that everybody can come together on? Uh, there are... Aspects where there's broader agreement, I don't know if there's anything where there's 100% agreement. For example, most uh, people who are not, uh, who are critics of population as a concern, uh, or critics of those like us who are concerned about population issues, still agree that women and men deserve uh, access to family planning and reproductive health services and should be able to determine the number and spacing of their children uh, freely. So, I mean, that, that is generally agreed to, but of course the Catholic Church and some other conservative religions oppose even uh, contraception. Um, so I would say there's not universal agreement even on that principle, even though the governments of the world have endorsed that principle at several UN conferences. Well, and of course, you know, we saw the Pope not too long ago talking about condom use in Africa. I mean, that's uh, a very different uh, and new approach that many praised uh, as a point in the right direction. But, um, you know, when the UN gives its population projections out to 2000, you know, and 50 and beyond, there are so many different variables playing into the numbers. It's hard to really get our heads around the numbers that we'll actually see. And and there's so much variability in that. I mean, you see projections at the turn of the next century as low as 6.1 billion people and as high as 15.8 billion people. Why is there such a large variation? And I think, you know, answering that question could help a lot of people care more because when we see numbers fluctuate like that, to the everyday person, it's kind of like, well, the experts don't even know what they're talking about. It really mm-hmm. kind of diminishes their credibility. Mm-hmm. Well, there is some uncertainty, of course, and the further out you go, the greater the uncertainty because we don't know what human behavior will be in 2050. 
Um, so what is done is the UN Population Division makes assumptions, and they state very clearly what those assumptions are to make projections out to 2050 and even 2100. I think 2100 is going way too far because uh, in the past, 100-year projections have been way, way, way off um, and often low. I mean, we've found in recent decades that the UN Population Division has been raising uh, their projections to 2050 because fertility rates have not been falling as fast as they assumed previously they would. Uh, many journalists think that the median projection, because it's called the median rather than the high or the low, is the most likely one to come about. But uh, indeed, if nothing were to change in terms of fertility rates between now and uh, 2050, we could end up with, uh, I mean, uh, by the end of the century, uh, we could end up with 26 billion people on the planet. I don't think that will happen. Uh, I also have some doubt that we'll get to 9.3 billion by 2050, uh, even though I think the projection, of the median projection, which assumes that fertility rates in every country of the world will fall to 1.85 children per woman, so less than replacement level in every country. I see that as unrealistically low in places like Nigeria, where ideal family size is 7 among married women and 8.5 among married men. Um, but because I believe, as an ecologist, that we are now in overshoot, and indeed the Global Footprint Network says just to sustain the current population at our current lifestyle, we need one and a half planets. Uh, I don't think we'll get to that level. I think before we get there, we'll either have dramatic declines in fertility rates or we'll have increased starvation and increases in the death rate. You know, it's interesting that you talk about, you know, starvation because um, in 1968, a lot of people are familiar with Paul uh, Ehrlich's book, The Population Bomb, and he was predicting massive starvation um, and, and it didn't happen on the timeline that he predicted. That's what makes right. the current... What makes the current situation any more worrisome than what he was predicting in 68? Uh, when Ehrlich wrote the population bomb in the late 60s, he was unaware of the research being done by Norman Borlaug uh, in Mexico that led to the creation of high-yield wheat and rice and corn crops. Uh, Borlaug, after this accomplishment, then took the wheat crop to India and with the help of the government convinced the farmers to adopt it in place of their traditional wheat crops. And with high input of fertilizer and pesticide and high input of, of water through irrigation, uh, India went from a country on the verge of massive starvation to a net exporter of grain. Uh, Porlog received the Nobel Peace Prize for the, this work in 1972 as this as these new crops were starting to be used in India. Uh, and what he said at his, at his acceptance speech was that he thought he had bought the world maybe 30 years in order to get its act together and solve the population problem, or the situation would be worse uh, at the end. And when one talks to uh, people involved in agriculture now, uh, 
there's always the question of, are there new breakthroughs? Will we have genetically modified crops that are far more efficient? Uh, and the answer is, there are too many factors working against it. For example, um, the the use of fertilizer has peaked. Uh, most nitrogen fertilizer is made by using petroleum energy to extract the nitrogen from the air and combining it with natural gas to produce ammonia and other fertilizers. And because of the peaking and the rising price of oil uh, and shortages of of other components, uh, it is likely that fertilizers, uh, fertilizer production will be going down in the future. Same thing with fresh water, as I was talking about earlier. So the idea that we're going to have some magical new innovation uh, that will buy us additional time uh, is now seen as very unlikely by most agricultural scientists. On the other hand, let's hope we have some breakthroughs because we need to buy some additional time and we need to put much more energy into solving the population problem than has happened in the past, or we will have a very rough landing. But mm-hmm. we're, we're clearly facing uh, a situation now where uh, the time... Uh, that Borlaug bought us is running out, and in many countries, uh, food security is becoming a huge concern of their governments. Right. Well, this is uh, this is tough news to take, but it's good that we're getting informed on this, Bill, and I appreciate it. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what Bill's organization, the Popular Media Center, does to address these issues and what the, the hard work that they're doing uh, across the world to help with the uh, population concerns of various countries. So don't go away, folks. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. 
Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you can join us. If you're just joining us, our guest today is Bill Ryerson, founder and president of the Population Media Center. And we're talking about this looming, ominous uh, milestone that the Earth is about to hit. The UN predicts that by Halloween, October 31st, we will have 7 billion inhabitants of planet Earth. And we're talking about some of the environmental impacts of that, some of the economic impacts of that. And more importantly, what uh, organizations like the Population Media Center are doing to address these very big issues. Bill, thanks so much for joining us on Go Green Radio. Great pleasure to be with you, Jill. Thank you. Well, a lot of people are probably asking themselves, what caused this population explosion? Some people say, well, it's because better health care and more food has kept people from dying. And so that lower uh, mort- mortality rate has actually made the population go up. Some people say it's a result of lack of access to family planning services. In your estimation, what is it that's actually caused this, uh, I don't know if you want to say problem or issue, or but just the population growth in general? Uh, well, certainly the first view is correct. Uh, in the middle of the last century, when public health measures, including childhood vaccines, came in, uh, infant and child death rates dropped dramatically. And we've also lengthened uh, lifespans in many countries. So that success story has been the underlying cause of the population problem. It has, been, has not been increased birth rates. It's been uh, a drop in the death rate without an equivalent drop in the birth rate. Uh, but indeed, uh, lack of access to family planning, uh, when uh, the U.S. government in particular started paying serious attention to this problem in the 1970s, was a major issue. And there, have, there was and still are major efforts to make contraceptive services available to people throughout the world. Now, however, the situation is quite different. The reasons people give who are not using contraception and don't want to be pregnant, the reasons they give for their non-use have to do with things like uh, fear of side effects. They've heard it's dangerous. Uh, In fact, they've heard some of the campaigns by religious zealots giving misinformation about the safety of contraception, or they don't think it works because they think God makes decisions on the number of children they have, or their husband is opposed, their religion is opposed. Uh, Those are the barriers to contraceptive use now. In Nigeria, for example, 
uh, other than those who want more children, which is a significant percentage. Uh, in fact, it's the top reason given for non-use of contraception, wanting as many children as possible. Uh, by the 90% of married women who don't use methods of contraception. The reasons after that are fear of side effects, male opposition, religious opposition, personal opposition, and fatalism. And lack of access to services is cited by just 0.2%, and cost of contraception is cited by 0.2%. So those are no longer the big issues. The big issues are informational and cultural barriers. Mm-hmm. What is the Population Media Center doing to address the population issue? I, I love your website. It's very thorough. Um, walk us through so our listeners understand your mission and how you accomplish that mission. Yeah, and since you mentioned the website, people can learn more at populationmedia.org. Uh, what we do is try to address the gap in information and provide people with information on the relative safety of contraception compared to early and repeated childbearing and to address issues like age of marriage and family size. But we don't do it through just intellectual information because that type of information is boring and it doesn't attract audiences and it doesn't change behavior. So what we do is prime-time serialized dramas. These are long-running soap operas, really, uh, many on radio in Africa, but also TV in some places, where key characters evolve into positive role models for the audience for things like daughter education, elevation of women's status, use of family planning, avoidance of HIV infection, and a range of other issues. And we're able to measure changes in norms among audience members uh, as a result, and often these programs are the top-rated shows on the air. And are, are there American equivalents to this? I mean, you're doing this in countries, you mentioned Nigeria and, and places like that. Where, where are you working, and can we reference as Americans something similar in our own country in terms of that kind of media influence? Okay, well... Uh, we're heavily involved in Africa, and you mentioned Nigeria. Uh, and let me just give you a statistic out of that, and then I will jump to the U.S. Uh, we did a program there on radio in the House of Speaking North, a conservative Muslim area, and it was listened to by 72% of the population at least weekly. And at family planning clinics, when people were asked why they were coming, 67% of the clients named the program. It's a program that wasn't directing people to go to family planning clinics. It was just modeling this through certain characters who realized the benefits, and the audience observed that and decided to emulate their behavior. And we've done that kind of program in many African countries, Ethiopia, uh, Rwanda, Sudan, Mali, Cote d'Ivoire, Burkina Faso, Senegal. Uh, we're just starting new projects in Sierra Leone and uh, Burkina Faso. Um, and we've worked in Asia and Latin America as well. But in line with your question, we've asked ourselves many times, how can we work effectively in the U.S.? Because the U.S. has a large population. It has high teenage pregnancy rates. How can we address this? And so I went around Hollywood uh, several times knocking on doors and almost gave up on trying to get a program on the air. It's not an easy place to get entree. And we decided to do a 
an online serial drama. We have one of the top Hollywood writers and a team of writers working on a program that will address teenage pregnancy through what one could call a YouTube soap opera. It's Mm -hmm. not posted yet. It's in the writing phase, but it will start to appear uh, in early 2012. So people should keep uh, looking at our website, and they'll be able to follow this. It will, uh, I think, be a very exciting story, and I think it will attract a lot of young people uh, and help them to avoid mistakes of unwanted pregnancy and parenthood as teenagers. Mm-hmm. Now, on your website, you talk about employing a whole society strategy. What does that mean? Well, when you think about using one program in one time slot uh, in a place like Ethiopia uh, with a whole culture and thousands of years of history of large family size uh, and low status of women, Uh, it's important to use an array of approaches. So in addition to our primetime serials, we do talk shows, we do publications and uh, stories in the paper, we do comic books, we do uh, electronic games. Uh, We're using a combination of approaches. Uh, Each part, each approach aimed at a particular segment of the population. So People are getting uh, information from a variety of sources, and all of it, the ones we're producing, are, are promoting the policies of the host government. They, these are not policies we're imposing on the country. We're going in and helping them achieve their own population policies. Uh, and therefore, we're, we're really uh, trying to saturate the marketplace of media in order to reach people with as many approaches as we can. Well, and, and I'm wondering, um, you know, when you talk about the Sabido methodology, mm-hmm. how that plays into the whole society strategy. Okay, well, Miguel Sabido was a television producer at Televisa in Mexico, the largest commercial network there. And he's now retired, but actually spends some time working with us as a trainer, and he'll be meeting next month with our Hollywood writers um, he is a very interesting intellectual who not only was a producer of primetime and daytime telenovelas on Televisa, but he also was quite interested in the effects his program or, uh, programs were having on various behaviors. Uh, he oversaw the audience research division at Televisa, and he started reading uh, the writings of a Stanford psychologist, Albert Bandura, uh, who's the world's authority on role modeling. And he incorporated some of his principles along with the work of Paul McLean, a brain scientist who studied intellectual, emotional, and instinctive functions of the human brain. And he created a whole methodology for how characters, in addition to positive and negative characters that are found in all melodramas, how sort of middle-of-the-road characters could evolve not necessarily in a straight line, but evolve in their thinking and behavior uh, to role model how to overcome the obstacles to change in any society. And he created this methodology that he used, among other things, to promote literacy and family planning in Mexico and had a huge impact in the 70s and 80s, during which time Mexico underwent the most dramatic decline in birth rates of any developing country in the 20th century up until that time, which earned the country the UN Population Prize in 1986. So his methodology has 
proven to be the most cost-effective strategy for helping inform audiences in other countries uh, about things like the value of educating their daughters and the value of allowing women to reach adulthood before they get married and and other issues that various societies are facing. In the minute or so, 30 seconds or so before we go to break, Bill, tell us how you measure the success of your programs. How, how do you know that you're being effective? We do both uh, quantitative surveys, baseline and post-broadcast surveys uh, on a national level. Uh, and the post-broadcast survey will, and these are face-to-face one-hour interviews, and they will give us information on what percentage of the population is listening to one of our programs and provide information as to whether the listeners have changed behavior relative to the non-listeners, and then mm-hmm. we control that data for other variables like income, education, and place of residence. We also do, as I mentioned in Nigeria, clinic exit interviews where clients are asked why they came for family planning or for other services, and we're able to measure the relative effects of various interventions going on in the country through those uh, questions. Interesting. Well, we've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, more with Bill Ryerson of the Population Media Center. Don't go away, folks. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Healing occurs from the inside out. To awaken and activate the body's healing mechanisms, your emotions and thought patterns must be addressed and aligned with your truth. These concepts are discussed in detail on The Light Within, Awakening the Inner Healer, with host Joan Jacobs. We'll introduce you to a new way to interpret and address your body's language of symptoms and how to turn disease into a platform of profound personal growth. Tune in to The Light Within every Monday at 10 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Go inside the world of PR with PR Insider, hosted by public relations expert Maureen Kettis. Maureen will speak to the world's highest profile PR pros from the fields of marketing, advertising, and sales. And PR Insider will feature renowned members of the media as special guests. Maureen will give you a VIP access pass, including tips and tricks to take your business to the next level. PR Insider with Maureen Kettis, sponsored by Cision, us.cision.com. Listen every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Network. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Today we're talking with Bill Ryerson, 
founder and president of the Population Media Center. If you've joined us late and you wish that you would have caught the first part of the show, don't worry because we're syndicated on the Green Living channel of Voice America. If you go to voiceamerica.com and click on the button that says Green Living, you can hear this episode again next Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific, noon to 1 on the East Coast. Tell your friends, tweet it out, and let everybody know that they can catch the show Repeated once more with Bill Ryerson. Bill, you know, the United States is going through a big population increase. Our population is expected to increase by about 35% in the next 40 years or so, maybe even as much as 40%. And that's an additional approximately 130 million people. And that's kind of like adding California, Texas, New York, Illinois, Pennsylvania, and Oklahoma back to our already existing population. That's a lot of people. Where are all of these people going to live? And maybe even more importantly, how is this going to affect our natural resources in the U.S.? It's a very big concern. You know, most of the discussion in the U.S. uh, about uh, policies that impact population growth never look at the question you've just asked about what's going to be the impact of our numbers on our natural resources and where are people going to live. Uh, people may be sitting in traffic jams uh, on the freeways uh, all over the country wondering why it's getting worse and worse. California alone is adding about 1,300 people a day, so it's just making the situation worse because we can't keep the infrastructure growing at the same rate, uh, or we at least haven't done so at the same rate that our population's been growing. Um, our growth is driven by two things. One is birth minus deaths or natural increase, and the other is immigration. Uh, And I think a great illustration of what's going on in the U.S. is uh, taken right out of Australia because it's an island nation. Uh, There's a country that has, by policy, promoted population growth. They're paying $5,000 per Australian baby born and setting immigration policy to keep the population growing faster than Indonesia. And at the same time, they're asking people to ration, to ration water because there isn't enough water for uh, people's domestic consumption or for agriculture or for fighting the fires that are increasingly breaking out. And from the outside, it looks crazy. But when you look at the U.S., we're doing the same thing. We have policies that have been designed regarding immigration policy, for example, that never have considered environmental impact or uh, sustainability of the United States. There's no place in the U.S. government where sustainability is in the government's job description. The EPA, uh, in its uh, creation, had uh, some mention of population factors in the NEPA Act, but in fact, EPA's never looked at population as an issue, so their job really has been more defined as greening the Titanic, to be cynical. <laughs> um, and we really need to stop and look at what is sustainable in the U.S. and adopt policies related to population that could go back to the recommendations made by Nixon's uh, Commission on Population Growth in the American Future, which in 1972 issued a report saying the U.S. should stop its population growth as quickly as possible because there was no case for increased numbers. Now, of course, People who are building housing and and other buildings and who are in the construction industry think population growth is a great thing. But if it's really a Ponzi scheme, and we won't, after oil is gone, or cheap oil at least is gone, be able to sustain this population, it is really a very dangerous path that we're on. 
ecologists who have looked closely at this issue uh, and and have asked the question, what is sustainable at our current lifestyle or even at a lifestyle of Western Europe, which is a little below our current lifestyle in terms of energy consumption, uh, what is sustainable once cheap oil is gone? And the answer has come back about 200 million. So here we are at 311 million, approaching 450 million by the middle of the century, and sometime with nothing changes, close to a billion by the end of the century, and nobody's stopping to ask the question, is this a good idea? Uh, you know, there are arguments over on immigration over who should get in and who shouldn't and those kinds of things, but the ecological question has hardly ever been asked, and that's what really needs to be focused on at this point. So 200 million is what's sustainable at our current lifestyle. So what if we just consume less and not worry so much about population size? I mean, could we could we just commit to that? Uh, we can, uh, you know, as the goal ultimately to have as many people as possible living the Ethiopian lifestyle, because that's really if you if you take that idea of consuming less and project it over a few centuries, that's what is being proposed. And certainly, we're going to need to consume less. We consume an inordinate share of world's energy and resources now. We're going to need to be more efficient. But doubling the uh, efficiency of our vehicles and doubling our population at the same time uh, leaves the environment no better off. So we need to address both the population issue and the consumption issue. We can't just uh, address one half of the equation and think that's going to solve the problem. So let's put ourselves in the position of our listeners right now, Bill. They're, they're thinking, wow, this is a big issue. This is something that's important. And now they're asking, what do I do about it? What's your answer? Well, number one, um, they need to make a little noise with their representatives in Congress. We saw the U.S. Congress vote to defund family planning assistance globally and uh, family planning funding in, for Planned Parenthood in the U.S., this year. This is unacceptable. Family planning has such a huge return on investment, and we need to let people in Congress know this is a very big priority for the American people. There's also on the Population Institute website a petition people can sign. Uh, it's the Million for a Billion campaign. We're looking for a million signatures calling on the world's governments to increase family planning assistance uh, by a billion dollars, which is important because since the Cairo Population Conference in 1994, uh, donor country commitment to family planning has been cut in half in terms of actual dollars going into family planning. So it's critically important uh, that we take this issue seriously and put it back on the front burner of the policymakers, and only the people can do that. So if they want to get more information and people want to find out, maybe on a website or uh, Facebook page, what have you, how they can get involved and maybe even forward these links to their friends, where do they go? Well, populationmedia.org is the website of Population Media Center. And incidentally, uh, I do a daily article or send a daily article on population-related issues and more broadly sustainability issues to a mailing list of people around the world. And people can subscribe to that on our website at the subscribe button. And also the Population Institute, which I uh, am president of in Washington, 
populationinstitute.org has a lot of resources related to population and ways that people can get involved. So both organizations, I would recommend people spend some time on those websites. Give us the, the URLs for those websites, Bill. It's populationmedia.org and populationinstitute.org. Well, I thank you so much for joining us today. Our guest, if you didn't hear my explanation before, is Bill Ryerson. You can check him out and check out his bio on my Go Green Radio website page, or you can go to populationmedia.org and read all about his work. He's been doing this for 40 years. He's a subject matter expert, and you can go to his website to find out more and, more importantly, how you can get involved. Thanks so much for joining us today for Go Green Radio. We're going to be back here, same time, same place next week. Our guest next week will be the author of a new book that's causing quite a stir in the economic world. The book is called The End of Growth, Adapting to Our New Economic Reality. As dooming as that sounds, it's actually a great book and it's going to be very, very interesting. So join us then for more Go Green Radio. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.